Today's reading is going to be in Mark chapter 12, verse 28-34. My name is John Paul. This is my wonderful wife, Carolina, and uh, Annabella and Semi, my beautiful kids. We uh, serve. I serve in the usher ministry. Uh, Carolina serves in the kids ministry. We've been a member for about two years, attending the church for about five. Okay. okay. Uh, if you would please stand uh, while we read God's word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to, to ask him any more questions. Thanks, man. You guys can sit down. <clears throat> so... Uh, my name is Vince. If you're new here and don't know me, I'm one of the, one of the pastors, and uh, I get the privilege of preaching the Word um, this morning. And just, you know, kind of as a little note, uh, we see a lot of people come into this church, and a lot of people get sent out from this church. And uh, if you are, you know, here, and you know you're leaving, not just Army PCSing, I know we've got nurses and doctors and like we've got other reasons that people are here but uh, if you know you're leaving let us know so that we know you're leaving so that we know man this is they're leaving they're going here the Lord is sending them out uh, you're not ours you're the Lord's and we just want to know hey the Lord is moving them to this place to minister there uh, because it's his harvest field and the, and the fields are white with harvest. And when you go, like Oscar and Teresa are, uh, after today, they are going to move somewhere and get involved and get planted and start ministering there as well. Uh, so if you're leaving, let us know. And then quick question. What time are we shooting to aim to finish this, this service? <laughs> Is it, are we, are we like 90-ish? I know, I don't remember what the answer was. I, I remember, like, we're aiming for this, but, like, I don't remember, because I got told we finished way late last time, and I, I just, you know, I don't want to do that again. We used to go 90 minutes. We've been working our way back. Yeah. So I think our target's 80, 85. Okay, all right. We didn't finish too late then. You're good. All right, we're good. All right. Preach out, brother. All right, buckle up. No. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for... Your word, Lord, thank you that we now get to come to your word and be addressed by your word. And uh, Father, we need your help. Open our eyes, our ears, 
our minds, and most importantly, our hearts. Lord, change us by your word and your spirit interacting with your word in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Kent Hughes, uh, in his fabulous commentary, uh, preaching the word commentary um, on Mark, tells us a story about John Wesley. And it's such a powerful story, I was like, man, I got to tell it, okay? So uh, John Wesley was like the 15th child of Samuel and Susanna Wesley, and um, he was born to be a minister, all right? He had a particularly devoted and gifted mom who, who did all that she could to bring him to the Lord. And um, the guy was really smart, okay? When he was grown after going to college, he went and taught at both Oxford and Charterhouse uh, two classes, Greek and logic, okay? Like, I don't even know what they teach you in logic, but it sounds very logical, and like you have to be a smart guy to teach logic, all right? He had a great career at both Oxford and Charterhouse, then later went to serve in his father's church, and he was ordained a priest in the Church of England in 1728. He then returned to Oxford and joined his brother Charles and George Whitfield, yes, that George Whitfield, uh, in a group that was called the <clears throat> Holy Club, right? They were dedicated to building a holy life, and while not yet truly converted, Wesley joined these men in prayer, study of the Greek New Testament, um, and, and devotional activities. He dedicated an hour each day for prayer and reflection. He'd take communion weekly. He set to conquer every sin, fasted twice a week, visited the prisons, helped the poor and the sick. Hughes says all of these things helped him to imagine he was a Christian. Then in 1735, he went to America to convert the Indians and failed miserably. He wrote of his time there, I went to America to convert the Indians. But oh, who shall convert me? In his travels, he met some German Moravian Christians who made an impression on him. And on his return to London, he sought out one of their leaders and writes that he was clearly convinced of unbelief and of the want of that faith whereby alone we are saved. And then Hughes writes, Then on the morning of May 24th, 1738, something happened that Wesley would never forget. He opened his Bible haphazardly, and his eyes fell on the text in Mark 12, 34. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Beautifully, not only the verse, but its setting. The Lord conversing with a scribe. A lost clergyman of the house of Israel bears remarkable parallels to Wesley's own lostness. The story of John Wesley helps us by asking us a question down through the halls of time. 
Do we know things about Jesus? Or do we know Jesus? You see, knowing things about Jesus doesn't save a man. Wesley is proof of that. Believing things about Jesus does not save you. Again, Wesley illustrates that. Believing in and knowing Jesus saves us. So again, church, do we know about Jesus or do we know him? Do you believe some things about Jesus or do you believe in him, namely in his identity, his works, his character? See, this text holds out a truth for us today that we must know Jesus, not know about him. See, John Wesley knew a lot about Jesus. He knew a great deal about Jesus. He even believed some of the things about Jesus that he knew. As a matter of fact, he taught others about Jesus. He even went to America to convert people to become Christian and to believe in Jesus. But he lacked faith. He didn't really know Jesus. Likewise, the scribe, a, a legal expert in the Old Testament law, that is the Old Testament system of faith and belief, he knew a great deal about and even believed some of the things that the Bible teaches about the Messiah. But he didn't know him. He didn't recognize him when he was standing in front of him. You know, a saying from my hometown comes to mind. You've probably heard it because it's probably not just from my hometown. Close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and slow dancing. <laughs> it's true. Check it out. It certainly doesn't count when we're talking about the kingdom of God. Kent Hughes says, it is possible to be within an inch of heaven, yet go to hell. We're going to look at this text today in two sections. Section one, not far from the kingdom. And the second part, not in the kingdom. And both of those are going to combine to show us that we must know Jesus. Not know about him. So not far from the kingdom. Think about where this passage lands in Mark, okay? Since the end of, of chapter 11, Jesus has been, as it said here in verse 28, he's been disputing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even the Herodians, right? They come and they try to examine him and, and uh, they challenge him. And the scribe is quite different from the others. Seeing that he answered them well, you know, the first group, they came to examine Jesus to see where his authority is from. By what authority do you do these things, Jesus? Why are you driving these animals out? Why are you overturning our tables full of money? Who told you to do this? Jesus' answer to them is that he has already examined them. And he knows that they plot his destruction. We see that when he tells the parable against them. Then comes those who would trap him in his words. Asking about 
paying taxes to Caesar, and he lets them know very, very plainly that his words are trustworthy and true. His, his answer, uh, Mark records for us, everyone marveled at him because of his answer. And then come the Sadducees, who come with wisdom that's right in their own eyes. And Jesus tells them, you are quite wrong. And then this scribe, seeing that he answered them well, comes with this burning question that he has to know. And you see his like legal mind. Which commandment is the greatest? Like he, 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 he sees, he recognizes the truth in Jesus' answers. And he's like, man, this guy, this guy knows. I'm going to, which one is the greatest? Tell me. And we see that his answer is different. We see that his question is different because the answer he gets from Jesus is different. See, this is the first instance that we can recall where Jesus answers the question of an expert very clearly and plainly. Up until then, he answers the, the experts' questions in parables or, or he asks them more questions that expose their heart or he, he, he tells a little story that, that makes them go, we're not gonna. Mm -mm, we're not gonna answer. And he tells this man plainly. The most important is here, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus, seeing that this is a sincere question, answers him. And grace, the God of grace, answers the sincere scribe. And then the, it goes on. The scribe, then at great peril to himself, commends Jesus. You are right, teacher. You are right. You could also translate this as like truly said or, or truly teacher or even like well said teacher. I think the best translation is, is really right you are. <clears throat> right you are, teacher. The, the, the construction in the Greek is, is one which brings with it like the, 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 the fullest heart, like it's the most kind of clear of like you are this. Right you are, teacher. It, it, it speaks to like the, the, the concept of being. You can be nothing other than right with that kind of answer is what the scribe is, is telling him. And he commended Jesus in public. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the other leaders are, are still around. All of the public, all of the people are around. And this guy's like, you are right. Yes. He's breaking ranks. See, the Pharisees and the, the Herodians 
Mark tells us earlier in his gospel, had, had plotted already to destroy Jesus. And this guy is sitting there going, you're right. Yep. That's it. He's cheering for the other side. Well said, teacher. He not only commends Jesus' answer, but also uh, his standing as a teacher. He validates him and, and affirms his authority. But he goes even further. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Where are they? Where are they? Well, they're at the temple. While they're not inside the place where the animals were slaughtered, they're out in the court of the Gentiles still, more than likely, because that's where all of this was taking place. You are going to see the animals as they're led by into the temple to be slaughtered. You're going to smell them. You're going to hear their braying. While you're not inside where, where there are, are, are uh, tracks cut in the stone for the blood to drain, you're going to smell the blood. You're going to smell the fires of the altar where the burnt offerings were consumed. You're going to hear it and see it and smell it. And he's saying, yeah, these sacrifices aren't really what God is after. He understands that the sacrifices are there because the heart is not right with God. And the sacrifices can never, can never change where our heart is. See, he understood a little bit. And this is why Jesus can say of him that he is not far from the kingdom of God. This man understands something about God and his righteous requirements. He understands that the law is, as Paul says, it's a tutor that should lead us somewhere. It should lead us to a place where we say, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do all that is required of me. He understands that following the law is impossible since, again, Paul a good Jew who knew his Bible, knew the word, probably as good as the scribe. Paul says the commandment to not covet awakened in me all sorts of covetousness. And if we're honest, it does the same for us. And he knows that the blood of the sacrificial animals cannot remove guilt since it needs to be done every day. Every time one sins, every day, every week, every month, every year, until you die. He knows that the law and the sacrifices point to something greater. He knows that they point to the Messiah. But he's still part of a system. He's still part of the system. Out of just the Pentateuch, the Pharisees had built 613, they had identified 613 laws, and they built them into a system. If we follow these things, we will be holy, we will be accepted by God. These things that I do mark me out as a holy person, as a person accepted by God. 
And we sit here oftentimes and we think, man, I'm glad I don't do that. But we do, don't we? We do. What kind of laws are we following that we think mark us out as a holy person? What external laws do we follow thinking that those things add to our salvation or, or, or mark us out as holy? Now look, there are certain practices that we should be doing that, that guard our hearts, okay? Don't get me wrong. But then there are other things that we do because we, we think, oh, that's what, that's what a holy person should do. You know, maybe there are things, a type of movie we don't watch. There are things we don't drink. People we don't associate with. You know, my grandma illustrates this perfectly. She, she used to tell me, good men don't drink, cuss, or chew. Or associate with women who do. As an unbelieving teenager, I argued with that. What about us? What are, what are some of those like rules like that? That we think good people don't do. Or, conversely, good people do. What is it that we're trying to, to build and measure ourselves up against? We think that these, these rules that we make are something that Jesus wants us to do, but the truth is we must know Jesus. Not know about Him. Not know some rules that we think would, would maybe make Him happy. Not do those rules that we think would make Him happy. Knowing about Jesus that He is holy, that He is perfect, that He is sinless, that He is all the things the Bible teaches of Him, leads us to a list of things to do. Leads us to a list of never-ending stuff because we'll never measure up. But knowing who Jesus is, knowing Jesus Himself, leads us to trust in what He's done. And what has he done? Oh, he kept not only all of the law perfectly, he kept perfectly what he was telling this scribe to do. To love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. He did that perfectly. And he also loved his neighbor as himself perfectly. And then he went to the cross. For his neighbors. Because he loved God. With all that he had. So do we know Jesus? Or do we just know about him? Do we believe in Jesus? Or, or do we just believe some things about him? You know, it's possible to be close, but not in. How can one be close, but not in, is the question that we come to now. What about this scribe is at the same time commendable, but also damnable? 
What is it about him? Well, we got to look deeper into Jesus' answer to understand this, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind and with all your strength. The emphasis here, it's not on the, the four different aspects as some people think of like, oh, Jesus is laying out a psychology of what makes up a human. No, the emphasis is on the all. The repetition of the all is what's important here. Jesus is saying, you must love the Lord with all that you are. To which this guy should say, whoa, 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 hold up. Time out, Jesus. With everything. And Jesus says, did, 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 did. Did I stutter? Yes, with all. Kent Hughes again helps us. He says, it does not take much of a man to be a believer, but it takes all there is of him. God demands all there is of us to follow him. And every facet of our being should be involved in our all. And the scribe likely thought that he did love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. Of course, of course I love God. How could I not? I'm an expert in the law. These guys, like, literally were an expert. They could tell you on page three of the law, three lines down, six lines over, what character was there in Hebrew. They knew the law that well. They were literally experts. I have dedicated my life to this. Of course I love God with all of my heart and with all of my soul and with all of my mind and with all of my strength. Don't you know who I am, Jesus? Don't you know? And he failed to see that he was capable of loving God in that way. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible because our, our heart is deceitful above all else. Our soul is darkened. Our mind is led astray. And our strength fails us. And the second commandment is equally impossible for a man to keep. You should love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's impossible. Because I love me too much. And there's just not room for you. If I love me as much as I love me. My love for myself it's far more than I love anyone else. I, I seek to exalt myself far too often to exalt another. I love my own glory and standing too much to lift up another. No, I cannot love anyone as I love myself since my self-love is often idolatrous. Because I'd even like to knock God off of His throne and sit down there many days. And the scribe failed to see that about himself. Of course I love others. I, I use my expertise in the law to teach the law to them. 
Why? How, that's love, right? Right, Jesus? And as John the Baptist says of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. Well, now you could say that Jesus comes and says, not only must Jesus increase, but I must decrease. Also, my neighbor must increase. command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself should have done to this man what Paul says the law does. It leads us to Christ. Paul says that the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ and Christ was standing right in front of him within an arm's reach likely. The kingdom, the one who is bringing the kingdom was right in front of him. And he didn't get in. He was not far. But he was not in. And finally we see that he was not in because he didn't recognize Jesus. Right you are. Teacher. He should have said, You are right, Lord. Help me, because I can't. I can't do what you're telling me to do. But you're right. And he didn't. He didn't. Because he believed some good things about Jesus. He knew some good things about Jesus. He was close, but he was not in the kingdom. Because we must know Jesus. Not know about him. Being close is not good enough. So what is? Well, there's only one thing that's good enough, and that is the blood of Jesus. You see, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And we see that that comes to perfection in the merciful sacrifice of Jesus to pay for the sins of his people. Oh, man. We see it displayed on the cross where the Holy One is killed for the unholy ones. We see it where Jesus made atonement for the sins of his people. You see, the scribe knew about it, but he didn't know it. If he would have only submitted himself to his own logic, like all of the things Jesus was saying were fitting in his logical mind, boom. And he even said, yeah, you're right. All of this stuff around us isn't going to work. There's another way. Submitting to the logic. Show me the other way, Jesus. He knew some things about Jesus, but he failed to know Jesus and who he was. He knew the scriptures pointed to the Messiah, but he failed to know the Messiah, Jesus, and only Jesus could save him. He was way more than a good teacher. He was far more than a taskmaster laying out impossible tasks. He was the Lord Telling him, telling this man, the scribe, the way of the cross. See, at the cross, the one who was in the very form of God, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, and he was first a slave to the Father, loving God with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his mind and with all of his strength, being in submission to the plan of the Father. 
See, all that Jesus did was not for his glory, but for the glory of the Father. And he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. He did it for love for God and love for his neighbor, us, his people. Jesus was laying out for this man what it, what it is to be like Christ. A tall order, an impossible task if ever there were one. Yet through faith we can love God with all of our being. Not perfectly like Jesus, no, but with all that we are. Every facet of our life can be touched with that love. And with the gift of faith, we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Sometimes even more as we seek their good over our good, as we seek to sacrifice things that we have or do on behalf of our neighbors. Why? Because through faith, we can leave behind our wicked, sinful, self-centeredness. And church, we come back again to the story of John Wesley. Let's be encouraged by this. Kent Hughes writes again, Finally, it was May 24th, 1738, and as Wesley randomly opened his Bible, he read that beautiful statement that in nine words condensed the progress of his spiritual pilgrimage. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Then came evening. And the famous statement in his journal tells the story. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistles to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. See, when the gospel warms our cold, dead hearts, We can see that Christ died for our sins. Church, I was not near the kingdom. I was not like John Wesley. I was far, far from the kingdom for much of my life. The gospel warmed my heart. Gave me assurance that Christ paid for my sins, even mine. Oh, there were many. Maybe you grew up in the church not far from the kingdom of God. And when the gospel comes and warms your heart, it will give you an assurance that Christ paid for your sins, even yours. Maybe you were like me and you were far off and you know what? gospel warmed your heart and gave you that same assurance. Even yours he paid for. 
What a precious reminder of the love and the grace and the long stand, long suffering of God with us in our sin. What an encouragement today, Christian. What love displayed by the Son. What love proven by the Father in sending Him even to the cross to pay for our sins. Even ours. You see, the truth is we must know Jesus. Not just know about Him. Knowing about Him does nothing, but knowing Him, knowing His sacrifice, His perfect law-keeping, His His authority to do and say things because He is God. He has the authority of God. Those are the things. Knowing that, believing that, those things bring us into the kingdom through His sacrifice on the cross. And maybe this morning you are here and you're not far from the kingdom of God. Come through the door of the cross and find faith. Come and see who Jesus is and know Him and His love and sacrifice. He can forgive your sins, even yours. Even yours. No matter what they are, no matter how many they are, He can pay His precious blood, His payment, and He paid it willingly. Come through the door of the cross. Find your death that has been taken up by our Lord. And find a new life that's been given by the same Lord. One where your heart has been warmed by the gospel. And you can have assurance that he paid for your sins. He is trustworthy. Won't you come and trust him? We must know him. Not know about him. Won't you come and know him? And now we come to the Lord's table and receive from him bread and a cup that speak to us of his sacrifice. They speak to us that we must know Jesus, not know about him in order to be saved. If you don't know Jesus, we ask that you just observe this meal, uh, not participate. If you've put your faith and trust in him to pay for your sins, then this table is for you. This is our covenant meal. Where we look forward to the day when Jesus once again serves the meal to his disciples as he did the first time it was served. So let us open the bread. In Mark 14, Mark tells us this in verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. So let us reflect for a little bit on the Lord giving up his body for us. Maybe, maybe we reflect on some of the things that we believe that we shouldn't. Or the things that we don't believe that we should.
church, let us eat the bread. Now let's open the cup. Mark continues in verse 23, chapter 14. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let us reflect on the Lord shedding his blood to pay for our sins and the hope that we have in that sacrifice. That one day he will come and take us to be with him where he is. Church, let's drink the cup. Now let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word once again. Lord, we thank you for the sacrament of communion. Lord, that it is a reminder to us of what Jesus has done for his people, that it speaks to us the gospel, that it proclaims the gospel to us, that through it we corporately proclaim to one another the greatness of the Lord and his actions. Lord, that it promises us again of that day, that great day when the Lord will come and make all things new. Father, for those who are here today that maybe don't know you, we pray that you are working, that you are showing them who Jesus is so that they would know him and not just know about him, and that they would find life in him. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen.